is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. On the show today, we have the usual guys, minus Paul, James and Elliot. But in Paul's place, we do have a guest. We have Naveen, who is the uh, tactical match preview guy for um, 7am kickoff. Um, before that, though, just a few thoughts on the game myself. Um, yeah, it was a difficult game, a very tight game. Saints came to the Emirates with a game plan uh, after getting battered 3-0 on a weekend. Quite clear that they didn't want to concede goals. They wanted a clean sheet. They wanted to break on us. Um, and they did it quite well for the most part. It was quite frustrating, but it didn't help us that our forward players were not quite as sharp as they could have been. Welbeck, yeah, he seems a, bit, a little bit off the pace uh, in this game. Um, Sanchez gave the ball away far too many times. And it uh, yeah, wasn't as bright as his, as the levels that he set himself so far. And Santi wasn't as good as he was on the weekend. So all those things considered, yeah, it was quite hard to break them down. But yeah, we did we did create a few a few chances. But their goalkeeper had a stormer, as many goalkeepers tend to do when they come to the Emirates. Either that, or we just can't finish. Make your mind up. Yeah, but there were some bright lights as well, though. I thought our goalkeeper Martinez once again looks really calm, and I was um, I was saying before to a friend of mine that I've, I haven't felt as calm when a cross comes in for quite a while now. It's nice to have that. I remember feeling that with David Seaman, whenever the ball was in the air, it's like oh, that's all right. He's got it. He's gonna catch it and carry on. Yeah, I know it's it's, it's very early days at the moment. He's only played a handful of games. He's still very young, so I, I don't want to I don't want to make concrete judgments just yet but um, from what I've seen of Martinez I'm impressed great great kicking great catching pretty good things for a goalkeeper to have um, also Cost the boss magnificent defender and he's made a big difference to our our defence now uh, excellent player isn't he just just when he's not there you, you realise you well, no, when he plays you realise how much he's missed no, it's, it's not only his pace he's Interceptions, but his 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 passing as well, top quality, and also I thought Alex Oxford Chamberlain done well for 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 parts of the game as well. Um, when he was taken off in the second half, there were some boos apparently. I missed that though because on the stream I didn't I didn't get that. Um, I can understand why he was taken off. Really, you were you were trying to get you trying to get a goal. Uh, you want to bring on someone who can score goals, Giroud. Um, you're going to take off a player. You're not going to take off Alexis. You're going to take off, you know, um, a goal scorer, really, are you? And Ox, for all his quality, isn't really a goal scorer just yet. So I can understand, I can understand the change. But yeah, we found a way through in the end. Ramsey cut the ball back and Alexis was there on hand to tap it in. As I said, it wasn't our best performance in the world. We can play better. We will play better. Uh, but the most important thing was to get three, three points and then a clean sheet to boot. So, enough of that for now. I'm going to pass over to the guys who will talk in detail about the game. Enjoy. Do not adjust your podcast. It's another clean sheet and another win for Arsenal. You are listening to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. We are recording nearly directly following Arsenal's triumphant 1-0 victory at home against uh, Southampton. And as always, I am joined by a couple gentlemen who do a far better job explaining how it happened and what to think of it than myself. The first is the returning 
uh, champion from last post-match podcast, uh, in case you didn't know we were scoring this. It's James or Gooner Fanatic 49 James, welcome back. Delighted to be here with you, as always, Elliot. I'd just let you know, James, you're already trailing in the scoring today. Uh, <laughs> and uh, joining us for the first time, someone who everyone should be following on Twitter. If you're not, get following. His name is Naveen, and you can follow him at NJM. That's NJM1211. Uh, and he's something of a tactics expert, or more than something of a tactics expert. How about just a tactics expert? You can read him on 7 a.m. kickoffs blog uh, relatively regularly. Naveen, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Way too kind with the uh, tactics expert thing. I'm just kind of a dude who throws out ideas and hopes they stick. So well, expert, not, educated guesser. We're eh. <laughs> not accepting the praise. You are now trailing James in the points. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. I mean, it was maybe not the most scintillating or sparkling performance, but I think when you look at the statistics and and take it in context of, of how our season has gone, I actually thought it was a, a good performance. Uh, great to get the win. Southampton missing a few key players, but still a well-organized and determined side. Um, let's just get started with man of the match. James, for you, who stood out as the key performer and maybe someone who swung the match today? Um, I think it's difficult to select one player who, who stood out as such. I mean, I'd probably mention Callum Chambers, who I thought was excellent at right back against his old side. Um, a special mention would go to Kashiani, who I... I think we've seen in these last two games has brought a real solidity at the back. His his ability to to, to press the opposing centre forwards and and snip at their heels and come in with those much needed interceptions has been absolutely vital. Um, and a little and actually a, a mention to Emmy Martinez, who although albeit wasn't particularly tested in today's game, I thought he was calm, collected, and and did everything that was required of him. And his kicking is surprisingly excellent, actually. Yeah, he looks like he could kick it out of the stadium. I mean, at one point, he came a long, long, long way for what I think was a free kick. Um, and, I, you know, I was convinced, based on some of the keepers we've seen down the years, that it, he wasn't going to get there, but he got there comfortably. Um, just looked, t uh, to your point, so composed. Naveen, what about you? I mean, um, there were a couple substitutes, too, who, who may have actually been a candidate for Man of the Match. Giroud comes to mind for me, and if you know anything about me, I'm um, eating some humble pie saying that. But do you have a, a particular star of the match? Or like James, do you want to spread your money around? I mean, I think I think it makes sense to spread your money around. But uh, for the sake of maybe annoying you a little bit, I think Giroud was really good in this match in a kind of role that I think is best for him. You know, coming on later into a match, going up against, you know, more tired defenders. You saw it against the in the Everton match. Uh you know, similar script played out where Everton just kept going, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And Giroud kind of fresh fit, just kept taking up deeper and deeper positions, end up scoring that header. And, you know, this, that, that kind of seems like the role for him when he's fresh and fit. I mean, he's, he's, you know, fantastic. And he was really good in this game. I, I think, it, you know, it's kind of weird to, to, to give a sub, you know, who hasn't played the whole 90 minutes of man of match, but I think he's as deserving uh, as any of the players, but I agree. I mean, Martinez was Martinez. I shouldn't say Martinez uh, <laughs> being from <laughs> it's Martinez. Uh, I've been watching way too many English uh, Englishmen, I guess. Uh, talk Mart uh, Martinez was really impressive. Um, seriously, like, I I think maybe this is a question that will 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 come up later. But do you really sit him? If if, if just kind of, I'm I'm almost of the opinion that you're like, eh, whoa, just. Take your time getting fit. This guy's uh, 
this guy's pretty good. I mean, the the assuredness in the air is always is is always something that I like in a keeper. And that free kick you were mentioning is something that really sprung to mind. I think Chambers was excellent. Sanchez was was solid. I mean, he had to work a lot harder than I wanted him to to actually get on the ball. But I think yeah, it's it, it all around for us. But I'm going to give it up to the to to the big man up front who came on late. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair shout. I think Giroud really changed the game. I thought he was magnificent. I, I want to talk uh, uh, Martinez or Martinez. I also want to talk Sanchez a little bit, uh, obviously, because uh, at some point we will have to drop our pants and, and bring him up for a little while. But let's let's do something here really quickly. Let's let's just stay on the question of Giroud and his role in the team. And I I think. A lot of people are talking about whether Giroud should reclaim a starting place ahead of Danny Welbeck. And on the evidence of what you saw today, you know, they look like they play together really well. I mean, is Naveen, is the issue whether Giroud should start ahead of Welbeck or Welbeck ahead of Giroud? Or is the issue that they should be starting together and that that's what we should be shooting for? What's your what's your take on how playing them together changes our formation and, and changes the way we play and if that's what we should be doing? So playing them together is it's kind of an interesting thing just because both players tend to want to come deep and involve themselves uh, in the buildup, uh, in the buildup, kind of hold up the ball, link up play. So kind of having both of them there, in a sense, in those kind of roles seems a little redundant, especially because you're going to have to sacrifice, right? This is an opportunity cost question almost, right? If you put Giroud up there with Welbeck, where are you, where are you taking off a player in midfield, right? Are you taking... Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain off? Are you taking Cazorla off to kind of play a like a 4-2-2-2 or something like that? Are you playing Welbeck out wide? Um, it, it, it gets very interesting. But I think I think something that we should focus on with Giroud is... Now, I always think about the, the first North London derby from last season where, I mean, I have... He worked his... Can I say at? Nah, he worked his butt off on the on the podcast. They are they are this they are the same thing, ass and butt. By the way, so there we go. He worked his ass off in that match. Like he worked his ass off, and it was amazing to see him. Like, but I, I remember thinking, like, man, if he if he has to play forty games a season like this, he's going to run himself into the dust. And I think Drew's just a player who, when he's fresh and fit, he's fantastic. But when he's fatigued or when there's some nagging injury, like his performance drops off a ton. So I think if we want to get the most out of Giroud, you've got to kind of give him a super sub role and kind of limit his starts to like 20 to 25 a season. You got to keep him fresh. He's not, he's not an Alexis Sanchez. You can't treat him like that. And I think, I think that's where the the discussion starts is, okay, when do we start him? When do we not? But you're not going to just, I don't think you should just put him up there and just be like, this is our starter or this is our, you know, our guy on the bench. Just because I think if you keep him on the bench, it's hard to keep him happy. And if you start him all the time, I think you're just going to run him into the ground like we did last season. Fair point. Well, I mean, uh, James, if you were the manager, um, and of course, you know, two or three years from now, that you may be up for that position. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, you and and maybe Jurgen Klopp, if he isn't managing in the German second division by that point. Um, <laughs> wow. uh, would you be starting... Danny and Olivier together? Would you be rotating them using Giroud in the super sub role? Uh, something else that I have not possibly foreseen. Uh, how, how do you see Giroud's role going forward? Okay, without trying to directly skirt the question once again, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't think it necessarily has to be an issue of whether Giroud and Welbeck should be starting every game together or whether Giroud's new role in the in the side should be as as this sort of super sub. I think what's so interesting now, especially when you see the kind of dynamic between a Welbeck and Giroud, both two very physical players, both players that can play in the centre and 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 link up play excellently, while also combining that with with Welbeck, who is a extremely industrious, very quick, has the ability to go out wide and then come inside, um, and then you know much in the in the way that we scored um, against West Brom with both of them coming in centrally, I think it gives us a lot more options than we've had in the past. I think especially last season we we just had the that we did, we were only able to play this four two three one formation with Giroud as the as the centre pin up top. Now what it means is in a game like today where I was without you know meaning to deviate away slightly was quite shocked to see how distressed Arsenal fans were at seeing Oxley Chamberlain being brought off because Southampton sat quite deep today. There was very little space in behind, and that suited both Welbeck and, and especially Giroud's attributes to its well not to a T but but certainly more uh, more so than that of, of Alex's and I think it, I think having that that sort of diverse options at Arsene Wenger's disposal is going to be vital going going into sort of the, the rest of the season and you know couple that with the fact that knowing the Arsenal that the team tends to just pick itself um, since how rarely do we have less than you know around 10 players or um, players in in the double figures being on on the bet on on the uh, injury table, but listen, I think I think it's one of those that kind of depends on on the type of opposition that we're playing. Teams that like to sit sit a lot deeper, uh, teams that don't allow us a lot of space in behind, gives us the opportunity to play both Danny and um, and Giroud. Whereas you know having the the option of Sanchez, Walcott, Alex, um, and Danny with you know sh- shearing pace up front against those that that play a slightly higher line, it, it, it's exciting, I think, going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I have to say, I, I, was, I was stunned by the booing when Ox came off. I mean, I realize he's a popular figure. I don't think it had to do with Giroud coming on. I almost got the sense that the, the crowd wanted to see someone like Ramsey come off, who sort of continues to struggle. But I have to tell you, I mean, one of the things that we got criticized for in the United game is how we chased the game naively and didn't leave ourselves any protection. I can't imagine bringing Giroud on for Ramsey in that situation. I mean, I guess you could drop Oxlade Chamber, Chamberlain deeper into midfield, but overall the, the moves the manager made today were good. They worked. The timing seemed to be just about right. So it just was sort of an odd moment in the stadium. Um, maybe just reflective of a larger frustration that exists. Um, you know, the, the the interesting thing I think with Giroud, though, is it's not a question for me so much of the opposition we play against, but the people you pair him with. I think for him to sparkle, he's one of these rare center forwards who's probably better at setting others up than creating his own opportunities. Um, you know, Alexis can create his own opportunities. Danny can to a certain extent. But for Giroud to look his best, I think he needs players who will run past him. Ramsey did that a lot last season. Danny Welbeck does that. He wants to get behind the last defenders. Theo Walcott's a player who does that. Then we have a lot of players like Santi Cazorla or maybe an Oxlade Chamberlain to some extent or Ozil when he's fit who don't do that, who want to come inside or drift deeper. Um, you know, so Danny Welbeck may not be a bad choice to, to partner with Giroud more regularly. But Naveen, I want you to put on your uh, tactical expert, tactical genius hat okay. right now. Um, not the one with the hole in it. Um, and, and tell me, so Alexis, uh, late 
heart-pounding, game-winning goal aside, probably didn't have his most scintillating performance. Um, and I looked at the heat map and where his touches were uh, because I'm sophisticated uh, football hipster like that. And he really did drop deep a lot. This is probably the deepest he's played for us. A lot of his touches came near the halfway line, came in our own half, came you know, 60, 70 yards from goal. What, what did you see in terms of how he was deployed today? Do you think it was a choice on his part to come deeper to try to receive the ball from the back four? Do you think it was because he was being forced back to defend more? Um, I, I think the further he gets away from goal, obviously the less effective he's going to be. That that may just be a, a you know truism. But what did you see about how he was playing today? And do you think that was by design, by circumstance? And, and do you think it was a reason why maybe he wasn't as uh, effective in the final third? I mean, there are a couple... A couple of reasons for that, potentially. I mean, one, Southampton, I mean, with, with no Schneiderlin, it was almost like they, 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 they really focused on uh, just keeping everything really tight, really organized, and, the sp- like, and, and controlling the space kind of you know, t- 30, 25 meters and like that, that kind of area um, from their goal. Uh, hang on just one second. I just, I'm just going to grab my phone here and convert meters to yards. Okay. (laughs) I'm done. Thanks. Keep going. (laughs) Um, but, uh, and and that'll force, that'll force a player who wants to get on the ball, who wants to get on the ball in space to manipulate the ball, to dribble forward. It's going to force him back. The other thing that, the thing that I always think of when a player like Sanchez, or even when you see it with like, um, like Lionel Messi, uh, Barcelona or Argentina, when when they have to drop back, it's usually because um, the midfield isn't just isn't doing enough. Like the midfield trio is not doing enough in possession to kind of allow him to play higher up the pitch, so he can receive the ball where he wants to. And I think in midfield, you know, Flamini, I have my thoughts. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, my thoughts yeah, are pretty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I agree with them. Pretty well known. Um, I think he's pretty useless as a player at this point in his career. Um, I mean, you can kind of see it positionally. I mean, I wrote in the preview, which was supposed to be a short preview that got a lot longer than it should have been for the Southampton match, that if you're going to play a team that's very organized, very compact in defense, that what you have to do is you have to pull them out of the shape, especially because Southampton, what they like to do is they like to flood the side you know, that the, that the ball is on, like to push more defenders to that side. And they leave space on what is, you know, what in football or in basketball you call the weak side, right, the other side of the pitch. And a team that is is positioned right, whose players are positioned right, and who have the players who can make decisions quickly enough can kind of move the ball um, from side to side. Not necessarily quickly, like, you know, panicky, but can move it so that they kind of pull the, the defense where they want to pull them, and you create openings that way, right? This is kind of positional play 101. And with Flamini there, with Ramsey's kind of weird, decision, questionable decision-making kind of... He had some passes too, like that are just, I don't know what is wrong with his, uh, sometimes his passes are just kind of like, maybe they don't go away from somewhere. Like they're not they're incomplete passes, but they seem he hitting them either too hard or too soft. Hit, like, you know how I would put it? His range finder yeah. seems like it's off. The The weight of his yeah. passing is just not, not on at the moment. Yeah. And when you have like a Flamini and a Ramsey in the form that he is in, like, it's really hard. Like, I would, I would start coming deep and just be like, I'd like, I could either wait for these guys to kind of work the ball to me, or I can kind of do something 
about it. And I think Sanchez is kind of a take the game by the balls kind of player. And yeah. he's going to try and try and get on the ball to do that. So was it, a, I think I'm, like I've re, like everything, right. It's, 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 it's a mixture of factors, but I think not having a midfield, just be able to kind of, kind of adequately get, get the ball, um, get the ball into areas, kind of work Southampton's defense left to right in particular kind of, yeah, it just forces Sanchez to be like, to, to come deeper for the ball. Yes, yeah, screw, screw this. I'm going to do it myself. It's funny you say that because one of the things I noticed today, I think there was a lot of solo efforts, a lot of uh, individualism going on in terms of Cazorla trying to carry the ball long ways through midfield, Alexis coming back and trying to beat two or three men off the dribble, um, uh, even Oxley chamberlain doing it a little bit, not as much slick passing and movement to get the ball through midfield. And I do think that's because Flamini's not capable of doing it. Ramsey at the moment's not capable of doing it. And James, I, I, I think, especially with Arteta out, you know, who, who gives us that precision, the precision, the metronomic passing, who can move defenders out of the way with a little shift of his body and then, you know, find, find the open man. With Flamini not able to do that, you really need the other two members of the midfield to, to have that precision, that, that technical ability. And, and Ramsey's not doing it right now. What did you think? You know, I know he did get an assist late in the game uh, and, and you certainly can't um, dismiss that, but what did you think today of his decision-making, his passing and, and sort of generally how it impacted the overall functioning of the midfield in, in building up the attack? Cause one of the things I tweeted earlier is that we're seeing a lot of solo efforts from the front three that the midfield and the front three seemed miles apart at times. And I think a lot of that is down to how Ramsey's playing. I mean, would you agree with that? Or did you see something to take some solace in? I agree to a certain extent. I think it's always easy for us, especially as Arsenal fans, to look at everything from a red perspective, so to speak. Um, I think that a lot of that was in part to do with how solid and organized Southampton were with was it Cork and Wanyama playing in the defensive midfield role, which very much constricted the space that we had um, amongst our central midfield players. And I think it was a game that was very difficult for them to um, really stamp their authority on, um, which is why we found Sanchez coming deep to collect the ball and, and why we had, you know, Alex Welbeck, even Santi at times, really just trying to take on a man and, and, and create the space for themselves. Um, listen, I'm, I don't agree entirely about some of the criticism that's been levied towards Ramsey after today's performance. I'm, he... He hasn't been great, but I think we've been, especially these last couple of weeks, talking about how important it is for Aaron to get back to the basics, um, to build that foundation going forward. Um, and when I say going forward, I mean just into future games. Because today, quite frankly, I thought I thought he was I thought he was very solid. I, I discussed in the last podcast how it's it it's more important for him to start focusing far more on the the first two thirds of the field and not worry so much about the final third, especially given the kind of attacking options we now have at our disposal um and i think also that's a lot a lot of his confidence tends to come from 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 those sort of fundamental skills that he possesses in fact the most frustrating component i found of ramsey's game much like most of his previous games has been his shooting and his decision making in the final third. absolutely i couldn't um, agree more i mean yeah, there, there was one shot i think it was right at the beginning of the second half where I mean, it was a decently struck ball, but it was it was from about 35 yards. The chances, how whatever kind of form Aaron's in, of him actually putting that into the back of the net was so slim. Um, and it 
especially given the way in which the game was panning out at the time, it, it really made very little sense to me. So that is the part of the game that I find most frustrating with him. But I thought I genuinely thought his distribution from the center midfield was was good. It was solid. It was it was kind of, it was the type of game that I was sort of hoping from him, given how poor his recent run of form has been. I think it's also very it's very easy to underestimate the the effort and the, the the kind of spaces he takes up from a defensive point of view, which I think is very vital to the way in which we've been playing these last couple of games. I don't think it's um, any coincidence that, you know, aside from also Koscielny coming back, but the more solid Ramsey's been defensively and, and positionally minded, um, the more solid we've been as a team. And I think that was the most promising aspect of our, of our overall performance today was was just how many how few chances we conceded today. I can't really think of many aside from the the Pele chance in the, in yeah. the first half. Yeah, well, and I, I think, you know, we chased the game in a more intelligent way than we did against United, for example. Now, I know against United we want to go behind, but I thought we had a more intelligent approach to chasing the game. I mean, Arson after the game, uh, Arson being the manager, Arsen, Arson, not that there was an act of Arson committed after the game, um, although there may have been. I'm not aware of it. Um, uh, but he he sort of said that we lacked fluency, you know, and I think, you know, I think when you talk about fluency, that starts in the midfield, um, you know, and I, I think we're, we're a team that has always been about slick passing and pretty triangles and, and, you know, when he talks about his exact quote, let me read it to you on whether there was something missing. He said in our fluency. Yes, we didn't have our usual fluency in the game, but it's important as well that you're capable of winning the game when it's not that perfect. And I just wonder, you know, when he talks about lacking fluency, I think a lot of that comes from not having Arteta, who's a more precise, better passing, maybe more tactically astute, positionally astute player than a Flamini and not having an Ozil. I think we really miss Mesut Ozil, again, who moves in always. space well. What was that? Always. You're always going to miss. So, I, so this is something like, so Mesut Ozil has been my favorite player since 2010. So I'm, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I don't get the criticism that he gets. I'll never understand it. Uh, this, it's amazing how much, te- how much better this team looks when he is on the pitch, even when he's not really on the ball. I mean, his ability to create space for others, just make – to allow other players to play, right? Mm. Which, I mean, he doesn't get it. Like, this is the big difference between him and Fabregas, in my opinion, is that Fabregas is a guy who just wants, who wants the ball, he wants to dominate the play. He wants to be the guy who dominates the play. Whereas Mesut is, 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 is fine not being the guy on the ball, but as long as the team is performing better, he'll do what he, he needs to do, either move away from the ball, move towards it, create overloads, whatever. I mean... Ah, I just don't get the I just don't get the criticism. Okay, well let me uh, let me play devil's advocate for a quick second. Do you not find that some of the issue that fans have with Mesut is exactly that when the team isn't playing well, you sometimes want to look to your forty two point five million man and and see is there something that he can he can create for this side? I think if you look to the big games where we lost supremely comfortably, um, and it still pains me to say this, but um, in in those games especially, I thought. Uh, you know, many fans would probably attest that that Mesut was one of our weaker performers. Um, even 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 in aspects of his game, you know, such as ball retention, his ability to create that yard of space was off. And and one of the issues, I and don't say me wrong, I love Mesut Ozil, so don't think anything else. But in those types of games, 
he tend if if the team is playing poorly, he tends to regress significantly as well. Yeah, I would say this. I mean, look, the the kind of people that enjoy Mesut Ozil's performances for Arsenal probably also understand the comics in the New Yorker magazine, um, <laughs> because they're subtle and they're sophisticated and there's nuance to them. But Alexis Sanchez comes out of a phone booth wearing a cape and an S on his chest. Um, and I oh, think... Uh, look, no, who doesn't love Alexis? No, I mean, no like... but, but, but Naveen, I think my point is merely that, you know, in an era of superstars like Messi and Ronaldo and Suarez and Alexis and Aguero who, you know, run all over the pitch and do things that you see vines of over and over again and that score these impressive goals, I, I think the reality is... Ozil may be worth every every penny of the 42 and a half million pounds we paid for him, but he earns it in subtle ways that you can almost only appreciate when you take the big step down to players like Jack Wilshire, Aaron Ramsey, <laughs> Santi Cazorla, Matthew Flamini, who don't move in space as well, aren't technically as astute, aren't as precise with their passing or their control. Um, you know, and let's be fair, part of the emotion and the, the culture of the English game is passion and blood and thunder and guts and glory. And Mesut Ozil doesn't play that kind of game either. But I, I think when you That's look at fluency, point. yeah, well, when you look at fluency, missing Arteta, missing Mesut Ozil and Aaron Ramsey being in really poor form, I think is the only way to put it. We wound up with a lot of soloing today, a lot of individualism, a lot of people trying to dribble past their man. And you can have one or two doing that, but Arsenal are not set up, I would argue, to have everybody doing that. And Oxley chamberlain Santi Cazorla, Aaron Ramsey, Alexis Sanchez, all of them today were collecting the ball deeper and trying to beat a man on the dribble. Um, but let, let's move further back on the pitch. It was a good defensive display. It was a clean sheet, and I thought a well-deserved clean sheet. And there's a couple issues I think we should get to with that. First of all, Emmy Martinez was fantastic. Again, no denying it. I don't think you can rule out the fact that his composed clean sheet performances the last couple of games have coincided with Laurent Koscielny being back. And that what Koscielny does for the back five is arguably the most important job of, of any of them. Um, Naveen, when you watch us defend with Koscielny, what do you notice that's different about it? How important has he been the last couple of games? And, you know, I mean, do you think that he's also, to some extent, helping make that that keeper look better with the way he can, you know, cover with his pace, always seems to be in the right position, makes the right decision about a tackle? I always find it interesting that Koscielny uh, is a right-footed left center back, which is kind of weird, but he's so athletic. Like, when he's fit, he's so athletic that it doesn't really matter uh, when he goes back, except for, you know, a couple times where he tries to – where he ends up hooking someone for a penalty, which happens every now and then. Yeah, once but every th other game. Yeah, yeah. okay. But – yeah, his his athleticism and his ability, particularly to defend on the front foot, right? Like his ability to 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 make interceptions and to make and to really get tight to uh, a center forward or or someone in in the space between the lines of you know the midfield and the and the back line really helped this team a lot. And I think in the air, um, Kostiani obviously is a much much better player than Monreal. I think though. When it comes to a goalkeeper and his back line, I always think communication is kind of the bigger thing. Now, I'm watching the game on a television, right? Like, I can't tell, you know, how much um, communication is going on between the back line 
and the goalkeeper. I mean, that's for someone who's kind of close enough to the to the match to to really know. But it seemed like you know there were there wasn't too much confusion as to you know when Mart uh, Martinez was going to come and claim the ball, when you know when he was going to come out, when he was going to stay back. It it all seemed really quite uh quite coordinated. So I don't know. I mean, that's for someone I guess who who uh, was at the game to see how well they were communicating. So I, and maybe that's just the thing, like we're with Monreal playing at center back, you know, he's worried maybe, maybe, I mean, this is complete conjecture. Maybe you're worried so much about your center back duties that you just forget to communicate with those around you. Right. You're so right. focused on getting your job, right. That you forget that you're kind of part of a unit and you have to communicate within the unit. And Maybe just kind of having, you know, Monreal just play at a more natural position left back. I think he did fine individually at center back. And then having Koscielny and Mertesacker kind of in their normal roles. Chambers is a fine right back, despite all the people who want to focus on a performance against a really, really fast dude in Jefferson Montero. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, I think everyone kind of was comfortable in their roles and that allows you to kind of coordinate your, your actions better. And I think that's what, played a big role in this yeah I don't disagree I mean if you if you rewind a few games ago not only do we not have Koscielny playing but I do think Chambers was going through what you'd expect from a young player which is a dip in performance he was again uh, uh, magnificent today and his return to imperious form combined with Koscielny returning I I think has made a big difference um James obviously you know what can you say Koscielny's excellent um, certainly anything you have to add to that, but I also would like to get your opinion on the goalkeeper. I'm a huge Wojciech Szczesny fan, but I, I have to admit, I'm starting to come around to the idea that Mar- Martinez, 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 uh, Martinez has, uh, <laughs> earned the, the right to at least be in the conversation now for holding on to this starting place. I mean, do you think he's benefiting a little from return to form and a return of an injured player? Or do you think he just genuinely looks more composed and, and has better distribution while also acknowledging that he really hasn't faced a lot of chances along the way? What, what are your thoughts about, about the goalkeeper situation? Well, I mean, I think you just answered the, uh, the question for yourself there, Elliot. All um, right, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, listen, I, I covered it briefly on, uh, was it Sunday now? And my, my, my opinions still haven't changed all that much. I think he's a, supremely assured goalie i think it's clear that he even at his young age gives the backline um significant confidence in his abilities he's 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 very confident about claiming the ball in the air which is i think especially for this arsenal side absolutely integral absolutely integral and you know he's he's a big unit um from that free kick i mean he jumped a a significant height right at the edge of the box uh, to remove all, all all danger entirely but as you say listen He's a young goalie. He, he, he's been in the limelight these last couple of games, no doubt. But he hasn't been truly tested. I mean, you know, what's the fans' reaction going to be as, you know, when a 19-year-old keeper, you know, inevitably, finally, A, finally concedes a goal, but B, perhaps, you know, ha- has a slight mishap? Um, I think you have to revert back to your, your number one choice. And, you know, going back to, to Wojciech Chesney, is, he's a keeper that can win you points. Now, th- at the same time, I think it, it's great to see Martinez play in the way that he has because perhaps there's perhaps there's an argument to be made that if you even when Chesney comes back, you you keep Emmy in for a couple of games just to push Chesney that 
that ever you know that little bit further in the same way never gets healthy well yeah i mean he (laughs) he, he seems to be another sort of classic arsenal signing um but yeah i mean we saw with when fabianski came in last season and then um got injured again and we brought chesney back and he looked like a revitalized player perhaps you you play emmy for a couple of games and then bring chesney in and you know almost as an indication that as you know as soon as you have a slight drop in your performance there's a there's a 19 year old who's um, you know, full of confidence and and brimming to be on the field that that that's snapping at his heels. Um, so yeah, I mean, just and quickly going back to Koscielny, uh, I think Naveen sort of succinctly um, described him sort of far better than I can. But I think the difference that we're seeing is, and Monreal, you know, he he was decent at centre back. He was nowhere near as as as, as poor as some portrayed him, despite being a a, so a left back, um, but. Koscielny, when he's not getting sent off and conceding a penalty, is is supreme. He's he's absolutely excellent. I think I think he's almost a complete centre back. He's so quick. He's phenomenal in the air. He's absolutely phenomenal in the air. And more importantly, and Wenger alludes to this constantly. Anytime he he mentions Laurent, he always talks about his ability to intercept the ball. His reading of the game is fantastic, and his recovery, um, his his ability to recover is 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 sort of second to none. And that's why. Him and Murdersacker work so um, so astutely together because I think when Monreal was playing, we began to see the sort of creaks in 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 Pear's game. But when Lawrence around, he can he can just mop all of that up. And I think I I, I just I mean like I said, aside from when he is um, having and you know sort of m- making a name for himself for all the wrong reasons, I think I think he's he's one of our best players. Let, just let me just. Up. Chronic. That the uh, the Achilles thing is chronic uh, is something that really sucks from that perspective, right? Because the second that athleticism kind of goes away, you wonder, like, you just wonder uh, whether one Murdersacker is even viable, especially if you want to defend higher up the pitch. I mean, I'm I'm a guy who's very pro Chambers at center back for the future, uh, but if Koscielny kind of loses that athleticism is it like a real Ferdinand situation where when you lose that bit of athleticism it's not that your decision making was so great is that you made a decision and you had your your body could allow you to actually execute it right rather than he's always making the right decision he just happens to have the body to make it um so that'll that that's going to be an interesting question going forward to just to bring some negativity to an otherwise positive podcast Absolutely. And just to add one thing on the goalkeeper point, I mean, from both perspectives, I mean, in the Premier League so far, Emiliano Martinez is averaging almost a full shot per game, uh, making a full save per game less than Chesney and has faced none uh, inside the six yard box or the penalty area. Um, you, you know, so defend, he, boys. <laughs> well, uh, sorry, what was that? Way to defend. I mean, that's what you want, right? You don't. Well, that's what you want, right? But, but I I guess the the question then is, you you know, here's another thing to bear in mind about the goalkeeper issue, just really, really quickly, and then I want to move on, is that, you know, Arsenal don't concede a lot of chances, but we do concede a lot of, you know, free kicks and corners and and set piece opportunities that can be a challenge. If Martinez is the better at distributing the ball and the better at commanding his area, but maybe not as good a shot stopper, and we don't really know then I think you can make a strong argument that he's the better choice for us on the basis of the fact that just distribution and uh, set-piece 
opportunities are, are a bigger concern for us than shot stopping because we simply don't concede a lot of chances. But we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. There's a chance that Chesney's leg will fall off or his torso will <laughs> you know, separate from his lower half. So, so who knows? I want to quickly just touch on a couple of points that, that are being made over on Twitter. And this is something we're going to be doing going forward. So um, always feel free to uh, send your opinions along and we will either not... Uh, not in agreement or yell at you on the podcast subsequently. So uh, the forward observer at Lenny Pets Puppies, uh, and who wouldn't pet puppies, says that Giroud and Koscielny absence makes the heart grow fonder, especially on a struggling team. Love the gritty wins, and he signs it with a C-O-Y-G. Uh, not, not my favorite, but, you know, come on, you gunners. That's fine. Uh, I th- Yeah, I, I agree. I think Giroud is definitely a case of absence making the heart grow fonder for me because – Koscielny, we all knew what we had. Giroud, you know, I think is a little bit of a polarizing figure. But now that he's back, I think people are seeing the difference. Uh, Ali, or Ali, I'm not sure which one it is, at Fostieri, says Giroud made the difference tonight, creates so much space for others, defensively superb, and Martinez looks assured. I think that sort of sums it up. And, and, you know, even when Giroud plays well, he doesn't usually get some of the praise he's getting tonight. And then finally, Hassan at West LDNG. West London G, I suppose that would be, but West LDNG. Says Giroud and Poldy up the tempo went on. Welbeck showing signs of promise, but needs to develop a killer instinct. I think that's a fair point. Um, You know, we had chances to win the game that we didn't take. We also could have gotten some penalties that we didn't get. Um, Really, really quickly, just some final closing thoughts. As, As far as the referee goes tonight, I mean, Naveen, probably a few calls that he got wrong, but specifically a couple of opportunities for penalties that that were missed. It didn't matter, but do you, do you think that uh, those were penalties, particularly the the handball shout and the and the block on Alexis? I mean, yeah, the handball shout, I mean, the block on Alexis, he may have gotten his foot. I, did, I haven't seen the enough uh, the replay on that uh, to see if maybe he nipped in on the ball first. I think. But it's the Premier League. Uh, they have their weird labor rules about only English referees kind of preventing them from hiring, hiring the best ones. So this is what we're stuck with. Um, I mean, what else? I mean, we've seen it. What? It's been, this year has been a pretty terrible year for officiating all around. So it's horrible. It's, something it's, we have it's to really expect. horrible. I mean, there were calls. We, you know, there was a ball where it should have been offside, then it should have been a goal kick, and they got a corner kick. There, there should have been a couple of yellow cards that weren't given, probably including one for Cazorla. Um, I think it, he took out Cork. Was it Cork he took out, or was yeah, that it was Ramsey cool. who took out Cork? Yeah. Um, uh, what, what about for you, James? I mean, obviously the win makes it all okay in the end, but did you think that those were penalties, both of them? I mean, just quickly, has there ever been a good year of refereeing? No, it, it's. <laughs> I mean, look, we don't want to get into it to, on this podcast, but I'm a huge proponent of. Uh, video replay. And if anyone wants to hear my thoughts on how I'd implement it, certainly uh, give me a shout on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and I'd be happy to go into it. But I, I don't believe in this folksy notion that bad refereeing is part of the conversation in football and part of the culture, and we have to suffer through it. Um, right. I mean, listen, they were they were both clear penalties. The first one's fairly irrelevant because, I mean, we, we scored about five seconds later. The second one on Sanchez was absolutely stonewall. If you look at the if you look at the replay, that the uh, was it Yolinda or the Japanese centre back or wherever he's from Yoshida 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 that's the one. Um, He he didn't he didn't we ultimately didn't even come close to getting the ball. Uh, It was inside the box uh, stonewall. But 
ultimately, I mean, fortunately, these decisions didn't have any relevance on the outcome of the game, and, and that's what we can be thankful for today. Well, and as you know, as everyone will have you know, these things even out at the end of the season. Uh, of course, they always do. Yeah. Um, hey, all right, so let's wrap up with just really quickly. We've got Stoke away at the weekend. It's another short turnaround, a Wednesday night game followed by a Saturday, not 12.30 kickoff, but, you know, relatively early start. Um, uh, James, would you rotate? Would you stick with the starting 11? Um, if you would rotate, where would you be inclined to make a change? I think you'll. I think he'll certainly consider bringing in um, Giroud for Alex, given the physicality of Stoke's side. But aside from that, I don't see there necessarily being any um, any further changes. And I'm I'm extremely confident of a uh, of a good performance and an away win. Yeah, I mean uh, Stoke also not in particularly good form. That hasn't been a happy hunting ground for us, but they're a different side than they've been. Um, Naveen. Obviously, barring uh, the miraculous rise from wherever he's being relocated to by the Witness Protection Program, I assume we won't see Theo Walcott. Um, <laughs> so uh, put, putting that to one side, are there any other changes you would make? I mean, is it possible that Alexis Sanchez's um, uh, fusion engine will have to be recharged at some point, or do we just keep throwing him out there? I mean, if we, if we want to keep believing he's Superman, then like, yeah, I, we could just throw him out there every game, just play him like 50, 60 games a season. Uh, at some point, I'd really want to see him get a rest. I mean, this is kind of, especially because I don't think he's a player who can, who can turn it off, right? I agree with that. And I don't like, think he's a player who helps you much if he doesn't have the energy and the spark to run around like that for 90 minutes. Yeah, and, and I don't think this is a guy you can kind of trust to kind of like tone it down. Like, I mean... He'd be a great Chicago Bull for any of you NBA fans until Tom Thibodeau ran him into the ground. But uh, yeah, I think I think it'd be nice to it'd be nice if he got a break. I mean, I really hope that Wenger doesn't play anybody really against Galatasaray, so we don't have to go to Turkey and back play on that terrible pitch and maybe in a blizzard like Juve did last season. But um, yeah, it would be really great. But I really I I just. I'm just so I just think that Wenger believes in in especially because like you said there was there was a lack of fluency there was so much individuality that he really wants to play these guys more and more together to try and gain those relationships to try and gain that that coordination in in possession to have that fluency and I think that's just going to probably lead to him not rotating. Instead. Yeah. That that I mean I I think that's a fair point you know I'm also a little curious about the gibbs Montreal situation. I mean, I know Gibbs had a knock, but he was on the bench, and, and that's two games in a row. I, a little part of me wonders if, if in Wenger's mind, Montreal is the first choice left back at the moment. But, James, I mean, just really quickly to you, um, would you consider, you know, putting Sanchez in the garage and plugging him into whatever recharging system he uses, or are you just putting him right back out there this weekend? I don't, I, at this stage of sort of the form that we're in, I think it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I think if you listen to a player like Thierry Henry, he said countless times that, um, you know, as a player, you want to be playing in every single game. And and just as we're, you know, with now three three wins on the chart with three clean sheets, I think you want to be putting out your best lineup until you you really feel as a side that that you know you you almost you know come what may, whichever side you're putting out, you 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 deserve the three points on any given occasion. Um, also, it's easy for us fans to say. Uh, you know, a, a player has been playing far too many games recently, especially a player like Sanchez who puts in such a shift every game. But ultimately, that's a decision to be made by, you know, the medical team, 
those those in the know of whether or not a player's you know in this the so-called red zone etc um you know given the kind of engine that sanchez has it, it really wouldn't surprise me if, if he could if he could keep going on at least for a couple of weeks especially with the galatasaray match is a perfect time to rest him um and given given this sort of uplifting form that we have i he's got to be the first name on the team sheet at the moment yeah i I would love to agree with you, but after you said Thierry Henry, I daydreamed through the rest of your points. So, um, I, I appreciate you saying it, and hope, hopefully it made tons of sense. I think we better leave it there. I just want to add, if you are someone who would like to be featured with your opinion on this podcast uh, so that we can, uh, again, either agree with it or ridicule it, the best way to do that would be to send a tweet uh, using the hashtag AVPodcast. Um, just to be clear, that is uh, not an Aston Villa podcast. Thankfully, there probably isn't even one of those. So it's no big deal at all. So that's a hashtag AV podcast. Um, and then we will discuss your point uh, during the pod or uh, at the very least read it out, which is exhilarating to say the least. Um, okay, well, it's third win on the bounce, on the spin in a row, back to back, depending on which colloquial term you prefer. And it's off to face the trolls uh, the very tall trolls, that is, at the weekend. So hopefully make it four in a row. And we will be back this weekend talking more bollocks about the Arsenal, as we do. So, uh, again, Naveen, the tactical genius. You can read him on 7 a.m. kickoff's blog. You can follow him at NJM1211. That's NJM1211. That is on the Twitter machine. Um, Naveen, pleasure having you on. It's great to be on. And Naveen is going to be a doctor. So if anyone needs a doctor, he's a doctor. <laughs> uh, and once again, uh, the the man of the hour, you you made up for the points deficit early to win this round of podcast, James. It's GoonerFanatic49 at Twitter. James, thanks for coming on uh, as a reward for your victory. I think we will be talking to you again on Saturday. Well, thank you very much. Ed. Pleasure as yeah. always. Okay, and thanks for tolerating me. If you would like to... Uh, Get in touch on Twitter and tell me how terrible I am as a host of a podcast. You can find me at uh, ArsBlog. That's ArsBlog. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. I'm Yankee Gunner. Um, and we should congratulate ArsBlog on being named the FSF Blogger of the Year. And uh, to Amy Lawrence for, I believe, writing the Football Book of the Year. So Arsenal picking up trophies. Uh, that's all we do these days. Anyway, uh, up the Arsenal. Here's to a fourth win this weekend. And we'll talk to you then. Cheers. Here you go.